Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Talk Radio, live from Westminster. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are live in Westminster. We are back on College Green for the Queen's Speech. I know, I know you're going to say, look, we were here just nine weeks ago for the Queen's Speech. What the hell are you doing back there again? Well, I'll tell you what we're doing back here again. We're doing another Queen's Speech because there has been an election and Boris Johnson has now got a proper majority. And in order to celebrate that proper majority, he has to do another Queen's Speech, at which he's going to roll out a whole load of policies, most of which now will actually happen. Unlike the last lot, which didn't happen because about a week after we did the last Queen's Speech, there was an election call. Are you with me so far? We've got lots of calls to come. Uh, we've got lots of guests to come. There's very high security here. They're taking out the lampposts. They're taking out the traffic lights. They're clearing away uh, all of the people from Parliament Square because the Queen, believe it or not, is turning up in mufti. Apparently, when she does it the second time in a year, uh, she doesn't bother dressing up. She's not going to wear a crown. What the hell's going on? This is supposed to be about pomp and ceremony and tradition. Never mind all that. We'll bring you everything you need to know in a short space of time. We'll be talking to Tories. We'll be talking to Labour Party people. We'll be trying to find out exactly what the main planks of Boris Johnson's future policies are going to be. This is, of course, the Independent Republic. We are the fastest growing radio station. We are on Westminster's College Green. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB. Talk Radio, live from Westminster. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are live on College Green in Westminster for the second Queen's Speech uh, of the year. They're like buses, these Queen's Speeches. You just keep coming uh, until you get one that you like. The last one came, of course, but then nothing really happened. And everyone said, actually, this is more like a Tory manifesto than a Queen's Speech. And sure enough, so it proved because the Tories then called an election. Boris Johnson won that election. Hands down, landslide victory over the Labour Party, who now lie in disarray, uh, a bit like the uh, the English after the Battle of the Normans in uh, the Battle of Hastings in 1066. But we are joined this morning uh, by Ben Bradley MP uh, and, of course, Bob Seeley MP. Don't you think that Agincourt is a better analogy for that, Mike? Well, no, because Agincourt kind of means that... It's patriotic. Uh, yeah, but English. that means the Labour Party like the French, doesn't it? Which oh, yes, please. Which is entirely yeah, incorrect. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean they might need to go to France to find a leader they can all agree on having, no, to no, be no, honest. No, no, Dominic Grieve's available. Now, I feel as if I'm in a Tory sandwich here, because normally speaking, we would have a, a Labour Party member on one side and a Tory on the other, but yeah. you're both... First of all, congratulations for, for being re-elected. Thank you. Well Thank done. You. Um, last time I saw you, Bob, we were both incredibly frustrated about yeah, the fact we that were. nothing was happening, that we needed to find some way through the logjam. We found that way through the logjam now. We have found it, the last of the and general election. I mean, you must be delighted that, that the figures are, have turned out the way they are. I'm, I'm really delighted, and I'm most delighted that I've got fabulous colleagues like Ben who've increased their majorities, and who have... You've got five-figure majority now, haven't you? 16 and a half. You're Mansfield. 
still, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. that's mm. you know, that's ext- that's Surrey territory ten years ago. I'm going to well, go do mutual aid in Surrey. Well, isn't it also time? extraordinary <laughs> that you now own parts of the northeast of England that had previously yeah. blamed Margaret Thatcher for wrecking them, um, yeah. and the Labour Party have now got Putney? I mean, yeah. it's a very weird world we're it, living it in. It is, and but uh, um, Isaac Levito talked to us uh, to the backbenchers yesterday, who's uh, Boris's. Um, campaign manager yep. he, I thought he was very impressive mm-hmm. and he did say one thing which is I think we all need to absolutely remember every day we do this job is that next time around Jeremy Corbyn won't be there and Brexit won't be there right. and those were the two big mm-hmm. motivating factors to mm-hmm. get people out uh, to get a Conservative government to do the job that needs to be done I want our high water mark to be four years time not now but we are going to have to work very hard to solidify that support and then to reach yeah. out to some new people yeah. as well. Well, I was reading a piece of the Times today. Dominic Cummings is warning about the dangers of complacency and Absolutely. don't get Absolutely. too carried away with yeah, the yeah, fact yeah. that you're dominating everything now yeah, yeah. because the Labour Party are effectively useless. You well, know. we've not turned the northeast of England into like hardcore Tory territory overnight, have we? No. At the end of the day, we've been lent these votes in many ways, part, sometimes as the least worst option with Jeremy Corbyn, sometimes as you're saying the right stuff about regional yeah. investment, public services, yeah. but we still don't trust you because we don't trust politicians full stop yeah. uh, and we've got to repay that trust because otherwise we're, you know, a lot of these seats will disappear and is, and is there going to be a big announcement of detail in this Queen's speech because the last Queen's speech Ben was kind of light on detail wasn't it it was mm. a little bit sort of you know this is what we think we're going to do but nobody really believed it was going to happen anyway this time it's going to have to be a bit more concrete isn't it yeah well, I think yeah, broadly the same content as last time I'd imagine um, but perhaps with a little bit more detail fleshed out we've had that time in the manifesto to, to kind of pull some of the detail out of it and we've got to actually implement it this time whereas nobody really expected that before um, but I think in, in terms of the plan, uh, we've seen it all in the manifesto. I don't think there's going to be any great surprises. No, true. But, but Bob, no. uh, social care, one of the big uh, statements made by Boris Johnson before yeah. the election, talking about having to you know, really yeah. revolutionise it. Yeah. I'm hoping there's going to be something concrete about that because a lot of people need to see some plan of action for going forward. We, we need to deliver on social care. We also need to deliver on NHS promises as well. So that's going to be enshrined in law. And for, I mean, at the moment, the only thing we've got enshrined in law is overseas aid, which I think strikes a lot of people as being very odd. A lot of people Especially would like to get supporters. rid of it as well. Some, some would, or at least make it more palatable, and we're yeah. working on ideas to do that, and which is why it's great we're going to have a foreign policy review as well, because we've got to keep our influence in the world, and we've got to use that influence you know, for the best way we possibly can. So, yeah, I think there will be lots lots of good things in this in, in the Queen's speech, but a critical part of it is going to be the NHS bill, but also the, domestic, the, the, the abuse bill, which yeah. is, again, a very important piece of legislation that we need to get in place as well. That was supposed to go through in that very short parliament yeah. that you had after the last Queen's speech, but yeah. it got sort of interrupted. Yeah, it? but we're picking up, I understand, I'm sure Ben will we we pick yeah. up where we left off. So that bill won't have fallen, so I think it's going to be on its third reading now. Yeah, it should get through very quickly. What about the justice uh, system stuff that we're looking at? Because there's a sense that uh, there's a bit of revenge going on here from Boris Johnson with the, the Supreme Court. You know, obviously he was not particularly happy mm. with them declaring that he unlawfully prorogued Parliament. Um, and he wants to try and take them away from political decision-making. That's going to be a battlefield with ju- with judges and with uh, barristers mm. and with people in the legal profession, isn't it? Well, I think the, that battle is, is simpler from a government perspective now that there is a clear mandate and, and majority in Parliament. The reason that the Supreme Court were able to have that role and that power was really because there was nobody here able to, to get things done and, and to deliver. So we're in a different scenario now, but the real justice system challenge that you've seen in the Queen's speech today, I think, is investment in things like those prison places, like um, proper sentencing that does what it says on the tin and all the things that we've seen uh, yeah. broadcast over the last few weeks. And how yeah. easy is that going to be to achieve to actually get that tougher sentencing? Because we hear an awful lot about tough sentencing. Well, we're and we've had war boys just the other day up for parole again. We're, we're, gets two life sentences yeah, and yeah. they say, oh, you can have another parole hearing in six years. Hmm. Well, we're, we're building more prison places. And so, um, yes, I'm very much hoping there is going to be tougher sentences for those people who want, want it. And again, I think Boris 
I think he's got the public mood. When you've got young criminals who are doing bad things, maybe from disadvantaged background, you put an arm around them and you try to help them. Mm. But once you've got career criminals who are just endlessly uh, abusing, the, you know, the, the, the system, and who know the system inside out, absolutely. Yeah. Then I, I think people are getting increasingly fed up and would like a longer sentences. Okay. And you can't rehabilitate. So if you're constantly in and out and in and out of the yeah. prison system, you're actually better off being in it and staying in it, so you can get into the programs yeah. and the education and, and get the support that exists yeah. there, yeah, or, or not getting right. in in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, or not getting the first. So I'm going to ask for calls here because uh, this is a great opportunity for all of you out there uh, since the election, because for the first time we haven't really been here uh, to talk to the people uh, who have been re-elected. So if you've got any questions, by the way, you can tweet them into us as well at Talk Radio. But you can call us 0344 499 1000. I'm sure Ben uh, and Bob would be more than happy uh, to field your calls because people are actually a lot less uh, kind of fed up than they were. There's a sort of general feeling in the country of optimism uh, of all of the things that we wanted to feel before this election, but sort of couldn't because. Well, so frustrated. As, as you well know, we were so frustrated for the last three years because, and you know, what comes around goes around. The Labour Party said we will respect the the, the 2016 referendum. We, Ben and I, both saw, and you, Mike, mm. that they patently did everything in their power to try to stymie that and prevent it and block it. And actually, for once, justice was absolutely done. Yeah. And the and I mean the 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 lesson for us there is if you don't keep your promises, do not expect to get the people support next Thanks time around. So we absolutely. We're going to be holding government's feet to the fire because yeah. we want that government to be delivering for our people. On the Isle of Wight, I mean, people talk about all our new northern Conservative voters, which is great. Yeah. There are poor areas in Britain that have been voting Conservative for many years, and I've got some very poor and deprived areas in on the island, and I want to see government, I want to make sure that government is working for them, not only by providing really high rates of employment um, and very low rates of unemployment, and so we've got a thriving economy, but I want more investment in my schools and my hospitals on the Isle of Wight as well. And what does it mean for the Tory party itself, Ben? I mean, you've been a, a sort of a, a high flyer in it for some time. In terms <laughs> of uh, in terms of the factions, you know, we were told that... Uh, the Tory party sort of was rent asunder by Europe. I mean, has it finally now healed that? particular wound? Well I think so uh, and we'll, it remains to be seen but we've got uh, every single member of the Conservative Party here in Parliament is backing the deal and wants to get things over the line. We're united on Europe for the first time in decades and decades which is a great thing but for the, the face of the party as it stands you know we, we've got a much more kind of northern working class um, parliamentary party and Bob's right it's not all about the north but actually it's about how do you rebalance so getting some of that cash out of London frankly uh, and into our regional economies which will benefit London too right if you're making uh, Burnley a really attractive place to go and live and work that relieves housing pressure yeah. down here in the southeast so there's lots to be done to, to rebalance across the board i think yeah and as far as the um uh, the european sort of uh, situation goes the negotiations will begin i guess if they haven't started already yeah. uh, after uh, january 31st i keep wanting to say october 31st january 31st but how is that going to work exactly in terms of um the way boris is going to approach it is he going to go to brussels again yeah. with a sort of a harder edge or, going, or softer he, edge. He's going with a very tight time frame, and I think we are out of the woods. For the first time in decades, I think we are at peace over Europe, and the Labour Party isn't. We have got to get out the other end of the trade deal, so things could still go wrong. So I don't want to be... Uh, things are pretty sunny at the moment, but we want to keep them that way and make sure we actually deliver. Uh, there is potentially a little bit of friction there at the end, but I'm very much hoping not. I think Boris is having a very tight time frame, which is why the legal limit on the negotiations. So again, he's going to hold the European Union's feet to the fire and our own side as well, so we get the free trade deal that we need. But also, I mean, I was talking to Steve Barclay the other day, who's a Brexit secretary, mm -hmm. and he was saying, well, we've already got lots of deals in place, so there's no such thing as a no deal leaving. Yes. It's just how many deals we're going to have done by the end of next year. Mm -hmm. Now, clearly the big one is a free, the free, uh, the free trade deal for goods and services. Yeah. And 
we need to focus on getting that right. But we've already got lots of bits of those in place anyway. And what are you expecting from America? Because we've been watching, you know, with some interest overnight, of course, the yeah. impeachment of Donald Trump, which seems to be um, a meaningless and rather pointless activity, albeit um, he doesn't seem to be paying any attention to it. It's not mm. going to go through. He's not the first president to have been no. impeached. Um, like and finally, we look as if actually we've got a reasonable democracy going. We used to look over and go, well, we can't make fun of anybody else because we're in a hell of a mess. But yeah, actually, but, but, we could be a bit superior about that. This yeah, well, I think, as you say, I don't think Donald Trump's going to take too much notice. Chances of him actually being kicked out are zero, aren't they? Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, for us, I think the, the positive thing is that we can go and talk to the US and Europe at the same time and say, look, you know, don't let these guys steal your lunch over there. Let's yeah. talk about how we can mm. make this better for all of us and yep. um, there's opportunities to kind of almost play them off against each other and make sure we get a really good deal out there and as far as just the new parliament is concerned 109 new mps yep um does that create a different atmosphere yes, in many does. ways i yeah, mean you've got rid of an awful lot of the people that yep. were yeah. the log jam if you yeah like. yeah and um, we're uh, different uh, voices different accents um I don't know who half my colleagues are which is a good problem to have yeah, yeah. but just meeting new colleagues there's a, a third of our parliamentary party now is is well almost a quarter is, is very new mm. so if you want to stand for a committee all these people have got as many votes as as the prime minister yeah. So absolutely, it's a new parliament, and you've got a. I mean, it feels a bit like a, I'm almost feeling we're being elected for the first time now, just because mm. we've had so much status in the last. Three I mean, years. you probably won't like this comparison, sudden. but it feels a bit like 1997 to me. It does. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. that you've absolutely. got this kind of new, yeah. relatively young um, yeah. prime minister, it's very young um, parliament, and, well. and a yeah, very sort of, and sort of young ideas, and the yeah. opportunity with the majority that he's got yeah. to do to really do and some got, good things. Great thing. I think we've got eight out of the ten doctors are in in parliament yeah. uh, conservatives now. We've got a couple of ex-miners uh, one from your colleague from uh, Ashfield yeah. Ashfield Lee yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. So it's, it's we're a different fun. group we can crack on and get things done and I think yeah. equally um, you know, as Bob said all these new guys have as much influence in there uh, as any of us I yeah. kind of feel like uh uh, Let's hope they haven't sussed that out yet. Well, yeah, um, but the challenge is finding your way around, isn't it? You've got to yeah. deliver for a community. If you've just been elected in Redcar, yeah. you've got five years to be able to point to something tangible that Absolutely. you've done. And the first challenge is getting around here and figuring out how to pull the levers because it's yeah. not an easy thing right. to navigate. And what about the Labour Party? Because I've got to ask you can, about Can I just say on that, there's one other really important yes. point. 97, there was a sense of arrogance and hubris about the Labour Party, which I thought was really unattractive. And, we and they have sowed the seeds of Yeah, that was later, though. It wasn't at the beginning. Point. At the beginning, it didn't seem like that. The, the at the beginning, we were so sick of the yeah. Tories at that point that fair actually enough. almost anybody would have, would have, been, would have been welcome. Fair you know? enough, mm. fair enough. I think. I, I just, I really, I'm very wary of us ever becoming that arrogant. I never, mm. ever yeah. want to see us. But having talked to, to people, I mean, John Ashworth and, and a few others in the last few days, I mean, they're, they're not entirely convinced that this is a quick fix for them. And I think they're right. You know, if they don't change, it's not just changing the leader of the Labour Party, changing the message mm. because it didn't resonate even beyond Brexit uh, and Jeremy Corbyn himself. You don't want to be told in a community like Mansfield that there's no point aspiring to anything because the, the elites will never let you succeed. It's mm. not a message of it's hope. Just, they need to change the whole narrative. It's like the 1930s. It's like mm. a vic victimhood and looking for victims. I just... People People want aspiration as, as well as support. And well, if they, they can't get, get that. that message now, they never will. But I no. mean, who, from your point of view, would you like to see them getting as a leader? Because obviously you don't well, want them to get the, really the, that the, good. All, all the really good leaders, I, I can't see them ever electing. Look, someone like Dan Jarvis, ex-parachute regiment, yeah. runs, runs... Momentum aren't going to have him. No, I mean, the, the, all the really all the really talented people will, by definition, not get past uh, Momentum veto. Yeah. So Keir Starmer's fine, but he's a sort of, you know, North London mm. um, posh lefty. He doesn't know it. Yeah. yeah. We've got enough lawyers, haven't we? Well, well I think so. I mean, he'd 30, be, uh, he might be a big challenge to, to 
you know, Kensington and Chelsea, but I don't think he'd go down that well in, in my constituency. No. No. The, the, Labour has structural problems that they didn't have under Neil Kinnock. Neil Kinnock was going in the right direction. Although he, he failed as a leader himself, he paved the way for others to succeed. Yeah, well, the new Labour project was his project, yeah. wasn't it? They are, they are still going down because <laughs> structurally they are still sinking. That's why I want our high point to be in four years' time, yeah. but we have to get we have to really get things right we deliver I've seen no sign yet of them actually starting to understand the reasons at a leadership level yeah. some of the back benches do but a lot yeah. of them have lost mm, sadly, um, yeah, and trying to under- well, a lot of them have yeah. and trying to understand the real reasons why they, they failed in the north in these working class communities they're still blaming the media they're yeah. still still you know some they of these hard they keep figures. repeating that their, pop, their, their policies were popular yeah which you know. is clearly you know <laughs> the I, numbers I don't, don't lie I, I don't buy that I think <laughs> so individually but I mean as a collective it just looks well to the people they talk to they probably were popular because they only talk to each other it's a very small room it is. And, and that's the problem with the left in general that they just they talk to each other to reaffirm their own prejudices and commitments and they don't get that the wider world has just, mm. just moved on. Yeah, from but that. what was their message other than the Tories are going to sell the NHS? Like, mm. if you actually talk to people about what they're about, they had no slogan. Nobody knows. I mean, everybody knows what we were going to do. Get Brexit. Done. It was pretty yeah. pretty clear, but I, I couldn't done. think of a, a thing that was the Labour yeah. Labour message no, at all. No, absolutely right. So, um, here we have it. Uh, we are here until one o'clock. Uh, Bob Seeley, thank you very much indeed. Ben Bradley as well, thank you. An unrivaled and unbridled assessment of a parliament in peril and a country in chaos. What's next? Talk radio, live from Westminster. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are live on College Green in Westminster. It's a very sort of warm and fuzzy sort of a day. The Queen's coming back down to do a second Queen's speech inside of nine weeks, this time uh, without all the pomp and ceremony uh, of a crown uh, and robes and all of that. Not quite sure how she's going to be dressed. Uh, We're not quite sure even how she's getting here. She may not be using the gilded carriage. She might be just coming in the regular Daimler uh, or the Princess or one of those cars that she has. Uh, We've had a a very, very posh car parked outside our office this morning. I'm not going to tell you about that until a bit later on. I'm joined now, though, uh, by Matteo Bergamini, CEO of Shoutout UK. Uh, Matteo, very good uh, morning to you. Welcome back to the tent. We didn't know we were going to be here until quite late last night. Um, And it feels a much more kind of relaxed scenario uh, than everything else we've done for the whole year. We were down here last Friday after the election results, but we were all a bit spaced out because we've been up all night. This, for the first time, feels like a new beginning, doesn't it? Well, it kind of does. I mean, Parliament's got a majority. Um... Yeah, imagine that. I can't remember the last time that happened. No, no, nor can I. I mean, it was quite a long time ago, actually. <laughs> well, to be fair, Theresa May had one until she threw it away. Well, that's true, but I mean, <laughs> nobody remembers that. That feels like literally 20 years ago, doesn't it? It really does. It no. really does. It does not feel like... I mean, everything's been sort of concertinaed into the last two or three months, it feels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all, ever since 2016, we've kind of been on this ridiculously crazy roller coaster, and now it kind of seems like we've, we've come to the stop. Mm. We've got a majority. It's clear that Brexit's going to happen, and we're now going to have to move on. Now, you look a lot at, at the way that young people vote in this country. I've seen, as I'm sure you have, the map of 18 to 24-year-old voting, which basically shows an entirely red uh, United Kingdom, (laughs) apart from a little bit of yellow up in Scotland. Um, Is it true to say that there are no young Tories? Because I'm not sure that's right. No, no, there definitely are young Tories. I think it's 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 no new news that um, the majority of young people are sort of a bit more left-leaning. They are um, a bit more pro-Remain, all this kind of stuff. Um, But of course there are there are young people that are Tory voters. There are a lot of young people that got elected as Tory MPs. There are the a lot of young Tory MPs, 109 new MPs, and quite a lot of them are very, very young. And in fact, I've heard a couple of them on the radio already. Very impressive sounding, very knowledgeable, you know, very good on detail, which which is something that we really need, I think, in Parliament. No, I completely agree. I mean, one of the things that um, my organisation, Shout at UK, stands for is to try and get young people involved in politics, regardless of who you vote for, who you stand for, whatever else is, but you need to get involved. And I think that... 
um, that election was a massive success yes. in terms and of our generation. Yes, and you've had an interesting uh, sort of interaction on social media because you were telling me um, <laughs> that you you tried to launch a sort of campaign to get more young people involved. Mm. Tell us what happened to Facebook. Yeah, so so um, just a bit of backstory. So we run political literacy and media literacy programs in school. So p political literacy is about teaching people about the basics around how a democracy functions, understanding first of all the post, what is a councillor and MP, how bill bills become laws, all the sort of bare bone basics around a democracy, as well as media literacy, so how to critically analyse the information they consume either online or offline, mm. uh, as well as you know understanding misinformation, disinformation, and fake news. And um, obviously, because it's coming up to the end of term and um, all the rest of it, we put out a couple of ads on Facebook to uh, promote our political literacy programmes and our media literacy programmes. And, and do they take place outside of school? Or are they sort of incorporated into the school day? So uh, most of them are incorporated into the school curriculum, so okay. either as enrichment or PSHE. Uh, some happen after school, and we also work a lot with youth clubs as well to try and get the, the message out there. And we've also, from January next year, um, we're launching one strictly online for young people and young professionals that aren't in school. So okay. if you're an, a young adult that isn't in the system anymore per se, um, can take it themselves as well. And we launched a couple of these ads, and we had our entire ad account suspended and blocked. Not really? just the ad, the entire account. What, without any warning? None at all. Because that's what they like doing, Facebook. They just kind of block things and stop things. And why do you think that was, then? Um, what have they told you? Oh, they told, told us nothing. So right. we, oh, I just woke up one morning, went onto the ad account to see how the ad was doing, and it was all suspended. Everything was, was blocked off. Um, obviously, they tell you nothing. Um, and I, I don't believe that in the sort of any conspiracy theory around sort of, you know, misinformation or anything like that. But um, I do believe that a lot of it stems from the fact that obviously Facebook, as well as other social media networks, got a ton of heat for the amount of misinformation that was pumped out during the referendum, yeah. uh, during the, the Trump, the, the, the first Trump election, um, and obviously this general election as well. And I think is this is their sort of knee jerk reaction to all of that criticism mm. to try and just block everything right. that has even a, li a remote is link it, to Does politics. the system work as well on, on the principle that if somebody complains about it, that it can sometimes block it be blocked as well? Uh, I believe so. I think enough people need to complain. Now, mm. the ads only ran for about five minutes before they were blocked, so right. I don't think we had that. I mean, I'm not saying anybody would have complained, but I mean, it's entirely sure possible some. that somebody who doesn't like you or who doesn't like what you're doing could maybe report you in some way. Oh, 100%. Um, it's just that the issue with this ads, they, they just didn't get enough traction in, to begin with. Right. Um, I think we spent about a pound before it was, yes. before it was blocked. So. Well, the problem with Facebook as well is that, as you've said, there's nobody you can talk to. You know, you can, there's no number to call. There's no sort of admin assistant that you can get in touch with. None. And if they choose to ignore you, it's almost as if you're kind of living inside this vacuum. Essentially, yeah. I mean, all social media networks, they've got ridiculously bad customer service. In fact, they've got none, as yeah. you say. And I think what this shows us is how ridiculously unprepared social media network sites are yeah. to dealing with misinformation online. Yeah. Because they've gone from essentially nothing and allowing anyone to publish anything to this censoring almost everything. Yeah. And like live streaming, uh, you shooting a, a murderous spree down in New Zealand. That's okay. We'll keep that up for what half an hour, uh, but we'll Something ban like your uh, election scenario. Yeah, exa exactly. You know, that, that kind seems of to make an awful lot of sense. The other thing, I, I had a page actually. And this will come as no comfort to you, I'm sure. But I had a page when I first used to do my overnight show on Talk Sport. Mm. I had a page for the Independent Republican Mike Graham, and it was so busy. I ended up appointing somebody to be the the sort of monitor of it, right? Mm. And then people started arguing on the page with each other. And suddenly one day I woke up and Facebook had pulled the page. Because really? somebody had put something on there that they didn't like. But they hadn't come to me as the creator of the page to actually say, we're going to do away with your page now. It just disappeared. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that doesn't shock me at all from what happened to us last night. Like, it, it's sorry, um, yesterday morning, but the, the reality is that social media network sites need to take um, ownership of the fact that they, they are um, a 
place where people publish stuff. Yeah. Um, some of it's abhorrent, some of it's normal, and they need to invest a lot more because, let's be honest, they make a ton of money. They need to invest a lot more to have a proper curating mm. system um, with people that can deal with this stuff properly because yeah. misinformation is propagated by these sites. I mean, does this election also show us that uh, we, we concentrate too much on social media in, mm. in, in the sense that, you know, an awful lot of campaigning went on door to door, you know, meetings, personal appearances, debates on television, and maybe, just maybe, you know, we obsess a lot about, you know, whether there's been influence or undue influence on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that, when in fact most people are not actually looking at it. Um, I'd, I'd say it's like social media is still to be tested. I think it, you know, the, the last election showed the power of it. You know, um, both parties dumped millions. I mean, both Labour and Conservatives dumped yeah. millions into Facebook and Twitter ads. And it's still unclear, I think, the power of social media. Mm. Um, if you look at sort of influencers on Instagram, for example, they can make a ridiculous amount of money through it influencing people to buy, buy certain products. So there is a huge amount of power in those platforms. Yeah. Um, and with that kind of power comes responsibility for those owners of those platforms to to curate properly. Yeah. Um, and and I I I don't know about the, about the amount of influence. I know there was a ton of debate around, for example, the the Trump election about how much sort of misinformed Twitter and Facebook has yeah. actually influenced. Mm. And I think they sort of conclusively proved that actually it wasn't a huge influence, but there is influence, and I right. think that needs to be that needs to be checked. Yeah. And were you surprised personally by the the, the, the sort of the size of the Conservative majority that came in uh, on that first exit poll on Thursday night? I mean, I was, and most of the people I know were, because they were kind of like. Is it really going to be this big? And then it was. Mm. No, I, I, I completely agree. I, I was I was honestly quite shocked. I was um, under the impression it was going to be a conservative minority government. Right. I, I, I still thought that we were going I was to calling that. it around about 15 to 20 as a majority, which mm. would have been enough for them, actually. But I certainly wasn't expecting this. No, not at all. Um, but then, you know, hindsight's a great thing. And you sort of realise, well, actually, um, you know, Labour didn't really have a stance on on Brexit, the no. biggest issue of the day. Conservatives were very clear. Um, then obviously the, the Brexit party sort of stood down a lot of their candidates. So if you look at all of that, and especially because the way first past the post works, if you split votes, um, your vote end up, ends up counting for nothing yeah. in, in specific constituencies. So it all kind of makes sense. I just didn't think Boris Johnson could pull out such a massive no, majority. And what are the young people that you talk to saying about the Labour Party? Because obviously... Many of them would mm. have voted for Labour if they were old enough. They did vote for Labour. Yeah. Um, who do they want to see coming in after Corbyn? Because he was an absolute, utter, unmitigated disaster, it would appear. I mean, he clearly is. Like, yeah. There's no there's no doubt about there's that. There's no hiding from that. No, no, not at all. Um, I, I think with young people, it's... I'm not entirely sure who they would who they would want to see as the next as the next Labour leader. I think um, there's a massive um, sort of divide. I think in Labour in general and young people that voted Labour. I think a lot of them voted, at least the ones that we speak to, a lot of them voted because they wanted to see some form of a change. Yeah. And I think it was more a reaction to wanting to see change than the actual party or, or the man himself. Um, so whether that sort that especially after this this disastrous election, whether that um, young persons sort of vote towards Labour stays yeah. in the next in the next sort of five years or so. Um, I'm not entirely sure, not clear. I mean, there's a great tweet here from Tom. He says, my 15-year-old said that his classmates were horrified by a Tory win. When he asked them what was so good about Labour, they didn't know. Is there a bit of indoctrination going on? Well, I think there's a bit of truth to that, isn't there? Because there are people who have been spending a lot of time uh, telling everyone that the Tories are the evil party, the nasty mm. party. They want to kill everybody in hospital. They don't want to have the NHS run as a public concern. They want to sell it all off to Trump. And I mean, a lot of that stuff is on social media. Mm. And a lot of that stuff is getting through, certainly to younger voters. 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a testament to why political literacy and media literacy is so important. Because the fact that our country is so divided down, um, down essentially age lines. Mm. You know, if, you, if you're under a certain age, you'll, you'll tend to vote Labour. If you're over a certain age, you'll tend to vote Conservative. Like that is is a trend that to me shows an issue of political illiteracy mm. where you've got young people and older people voting for a specific we've also got rich people voting labor and poor people voting tory well exactly you know we, it's a very odd situation um, and all of that i think is, is is problematic because you're not voting for policy you're mm. just voting for what these parties are supposedly representing yeah. this kind of weird avatar of what this party is supposed to be yeah um, when in reality you need to read the manifestos and make decisions for yourself yes and i think a lot of people aren't doing that and this is partly because frankly you can quite easily in this country hit 18 and not once talk about politics not once talk about parliament so that when you become part of the franchise you have no idea other than the sort of information that's fed to you and then whoever your circle of friends are whoever your parents voted for all of that plays an undue influence and you're not making a decision up yourself so maybe it's time we actually had proper you know uh, constitution lessons proper political lessons my worry would be though uh, of course that if the teachers who are currently in the schools are teaching it that they'll only teach one way and that'll be to the Labour Party's uh, way of thinking so so um that is an issue, um, but the way we, so for example, when we teach political literacy in schools, the way we deal with it is we teach the system. We don't teach about political parties. Yeah. We don't teach about um, ideology. So if they want to learn that, there's a university for that, and they yeah. can go ahead and do that. But we teach about the system, and the system itself is apolitical. You know, you talk about first past the post, you talk about parliament, you talk about how laws are made. All of this stuff makes you feel included within society, makes you understand how laws are created. So if you don't like something, you, go, you can go in and change it and get involved. Okay. But that in itself is apolitical. So it is. Well, that's maybe the way forward. I'd like to hear from you, please, on this one. 0344-499-1000. Is it not time we start teaching politics to school people, uh, to the teachers and to the students as well. Matteo Bergami, thank you very much indeed from Shout Out UK. Look out for them on Facebook. I'm sure they'll be back soon. This is Talk Radio. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Online and on DAB. Talk Radio, live from Westminster.
So we've got a very, very busy day ahead of us. The Queen should be arriving here any time now. She's on her way from Buckingham Palace. Uh, the sort of cavalcade gets here, uh, and she then sits down and makes her speech uh, around about 11.30. We'll bring that to you, obviously, uh, live as it happens. Also, what we're going to do now, though, is talk to Jonathan Reynolds, who is Shadow Economy Secretary, MP for Stalybridge, Hyde, Mossley, Longendale and Duckinville. That's a long title, I'm isn't it? I'm very impressed. You know all the towns in my constituency. Somebody wrote right? it down for me. But, I mean, there we go. <laughs> what can I tell you? We have absolutely transparent uh, information on this show. We don't pretend we know things that we don't know. And if we don't know things, we ask about them. But congratulations for getting re-elected. Thank you. Uh, a lot of your colleagues didn't quite manage it, though, because it was pretty disastrous on Thursday for Labour. Um, what's your view of what went wrong? Well, look, are you going to be humble and you're going to be honest when you've been defeated uh, on the biggest scale since 1935? I think you've got to just start off with, with you know, as painful as it is to say it, people said to us they didn't think uh, Jeremy was a credible candidate for prime minister and they didn't think the programme Labour was offering was a credible programme, even if they liked individual bits of it. So you've got to just say that, right? And colleagues blaming the media or, or blaming the voters themselves, I mean... You know, I'm so glad you said that yeah, because I've spoken to many Labour MPs from sort of the overnight show we were doing on Thursday to Friday until through Friday, even since then. Um, and they've all had some ridiculous excuse. You're the first person I've spoken to who's actually been realistic about it. Because you, you do. I mean, you know, sometimes you mess up and you might as well just admit it. Yeah, and frankly, you know, the judgment of an election is often uh, pretty savage, but, you know, that's, that's what elections are. And if people tell you, and if you knock on doors in your own constituency or anyone else's, you'll find out why you've won or lost that election. And I, you know, I take no pleasure in saying we've been rejected like that. I would have loved yeah. to be here as a new minister, sure. you know, getting a, an did appointment. You, did you the... see it coming, as it were, or did you see something like this coming, but not quite so bad? I, I, I didn't think we were ahead. I mean, the polls obviously had the Conservatives ahead. As the campaign started, it was really clear that we were in some significant trouble. Um, particularly, you know, you often sort of, you know areas in your constituency, right? And you know if we are getting, you know, five out of ten people here, that's better than last year or, or, or not as good. If we're getting either areas where you know the Conservatives will always be ahead, but you're expecting yep. some support. So you really, if you know your area, and I've, I've been an MP and a councillor in my seat for quite a while now, so you really know. And you know what people are saying, and you these days, because of WhatsApp, you're conferring with colleagues and that sort of thing. And there was, there was very serious concern early on from Labour voters saying, we don't like the government, we don't like the Prime Minister, we like our local MP, but we don't like the idea of Jeremy being Prime Minister and I, I think that's harsh but look I don't get to decide the public do and but you do get to decide presumably who the next leader is or at least you have a part to play in that process uh, the process at the moment as far as I'm aware has Emily Thornberry running uh, very possibly Keir Starmer I don't think anyone else has actually sort of formally declared themselves open for it um, I presume that will go on for a while but I mean a lot of people telling me uh, from inside the Labour Party as well that this shouldn't be taking as long as three months well, for me, I want the new leader in place so they can run the campaign for the local elections and the mayoral elections in May. So for me, that would be in place before the beginning of April. Um, I think you need some time to do a contest. You've got to get around all parts of the country. <clears throat> That's very important, I think, to, to see. So a timescale like that is, is fine for me. Um, I'm going to be very choosy. I think I know what Labour needs to do. I think there's no easy answer where you just say, let's go back to how yeah. it was in the 90s or the 70s or whatever. You know, that's not how Boris Johnson has won this election. Well, that was election. what went wrong last time around. Wasn't it? Jeremy Corbyn wanted to take everybody back to the 70s, and there were people who I was very amused by uh, in their 20s telling me how great the 70s were. Uh, I actually lived in the 70s, so I could tell them that they were talking absolute cobblers. But I mean, you know, that's the bottom line, isn't it? I mean, Keir Starmer says it's dangerous to lurch to the right. Um, I don't think many people have 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 seen uh, as such a lurch lurch to the left as Labour has seen over the past few years. Well, I wouldn't say it was a return to the 70s, but look, that's, you know, that's in the past. And again, yeah, the public have, have given their, the their verdict on it. Look, I think the danger is, I, I think 
the last Labour government did a lot of really great things. But I think oh, it, I agree it, with you. Near, near the end, I think it was there was a strong sense that it was it had lost a bit of its moral compass. It had made a big mistake on Iraq. It had people. A lot of members felt it was you know looking at the opinion polls, trying to split the difference between different things, and it had lost that sense of moral mission. Now you can call that left wing or right wing. It doesn't really matter. I think that the crucial thing is there are some big problems in this country around you know insecure work, low wages, regional inequality. But it's about having a credible platform to do that. So I'm not looking for someone just to come along and say, I'm the new Tony Blair, let's go back to that. Because that was right then, mm. but it isn't right now. And I think if that's what Key is saying, I think he's probably in the right the right space on that. But I want to make sure that they can have the right approach, that they can do the job, because it's mm. a lot of years as the opposition leader now. There'll not be an election, I wouldn't say, till 2024, probably. So you know, can they do the job? Can they appeal to all parts of the country? Not this patronising stuff around, you know, they've got to be from a certain part of the country. I mean, as a Northern, right, I'd love to see Northern prime. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know Boris where that's Johnson's coming from. Northern, Northern, is he? Exactly I mean, right. I mean, Boris Johnson is hardly your uh, epitome of a Northern working exactly. class man. And I mean, he's just won a load of seats up there. So that's clearly not the issue. Absolutely. And it is, as you say, patronising to say to people, oh, yeah. Well, as it was patronising to say, uh, as I heard Lisa Nandy basically saying, oh, well, you've got to be uh, for leave in, in the Labour Party if you're in a leave constituency and for remain uh, if you're in a remain constituency. Didn't work. No, no. And I think it's patronising to portray the country that way. I also, one thing that really gets to me is, you know, so my constituency for people who don't uh, know it is, is about sort of 10 miles from the centre of Manchester City Centre on the east side before Derbyshire begins. You know, there are places within Manchester itself that are really different to each other. Like mm. a place like Didsbury is totally different to Harper Hay. Yeah. There are places within Hyde. G Cross is a very different place to, to Newton in Hyde. And if you're from those places, you understand that. The idea that, you know, whether you're a Brexiteer or someone in the Labour Party saying, you know, everyone around here is the same. Yeah. I find that really well, patronising. Exactly. I mean, it's I think the same it's when people approach. say about the wealthy parts of London. You yes, know? I mean, there are plenty fair. of parts yeah. of London which are completely yeah. and utterly deprived and have always yeah. been deprived and will probably always be deprived. But, you know, that's the way of the world, isn't it? And then yeah. what do you think about the, uh, uh, the the suggestion that we had from our last guest, Matteo Bergamini from Shout Out UK, that, that we should really be teaching more about the political system of this country in schools. We should be making people more politically literate. We should be making them a little bit more educated about the way that things work. Because I worry that an awful lot of what uh, we've seen from some of the young of this country uh, about the Labour Party and, and, and agreeing in very many ways with what has been a massive failure is going to kill the Labour Party off. If those people grow up and think that what the policies of Jeremy Corbyn were good for uh, and what are going to continue with that, you know, the Labour Party's never going to be in power. Well, I agree with teaching more about the process because I think, you know, you'd be surprised by how many people think that if you're the local MP for the area, all the things the government's doing are down to you. Right. If you're an opposition right. MP, you know, so there's more about the process. I don't agree with the second bit of what you said because I think the core of the huge support Labour gets from young people comes from the fact that for the first time in this country's history, the, the current generation of young people are going to be less well off than their parents. They're, they're very asset poor. They're getting on the, um, the housing ladder much later, if at all. Their pensions are far worse compared to the sort of booming generation after the war and they want some answers on that you know and, and I think I, I always find when even conservative colleagues say you know they want to appeal to young people and they want to um, you know think it's about how they communicate the message the, the bottom line is this you know there's a lot of people renting on very high rents they're getting very poor security the conservative party consistently sides against those people in favor of landlords those people are just making the correct decision for what's in their interest so I, I wouldn't say that they're making it's not so decisions. much that that I'm thinking about really it's more the sort of the, the poisonous atmosphere that was in this election where you know all Tories bad you know all Labour good that kind of you know thing about Tory scum the sort of the chants that go on the things where people say you know Tories want to kill people in hospitals you know that kind of narrative is kind of what I'm thinking more yes of. I mean that has to end that's completely 
outrageous. And I think on the other side as well, you know, it'd be nice if, if people like the Prime Minister of Times didn't call us traitors for having a different view on, on his Brexit legislation, how it's done. But the whole tone has to improve in that. We are, we are really at a point, I'm very serious about this, where good people are saying they don't want to mm. go into politics, not just for, for real stuff like that, but as well, low-level harassment, people trying to record yep. you, people attacking canvases on either side and recording and trying to sell it to newspapers. Yep. When those people are volunteers, right, they're just participating in the democratic process. They're making it the election what it should be, which is a, a dialogue and participation. And I think that some of that is going, and we need to improve that. Mm. Us as MPs, right, we're not just the victims. We have a, a lead on that. And, you know, I've had colleagues, a famous example last time was someone saying, you know, I'm not even going to be friends with Conservatives. Yes. I mean, grow up, right? Like, I know. That's just, I mean, it's like, just pathetic, It's not how this it? place works. It's not how the world no. works. How many people in a workplace, you know, interact with their, with their colleagues based on whether they agree with them on various things? Well, but, that, well bizarrely, it's beginning to get a bit like that. And that's why Parliament actually does have an impact on the rest of society. But let's take a call, because Richard in Manchester has a question for you. Uh, Jonathan Reynolds is here. Uh, he's the Shadow Economy Secretary. Richard, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Oh, good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, Mr Reynolds. Good morning. I'd, well, I'd, just, I'd just like to ask you, if I may, um, I, I, I go back, I'm 76 years old now, I go back to um, Harold Wilson's day and uh, Neil Kinnock and Gates School and all these people, and I voted uh, Labour. I voted Labour for... Uh, when the new Labour uh, came in, uh, they had a disastrous war that killed an awful lot of people, which was terrible. So I thought, I can't vote for this party anymore. Uh, you fought hard, but you, Tony Blair beat you. Now, this last week, he's been beating the drum. Um, and I think, I'm, I'm, I'm not a stupid man, that he's sensing that maybe he could come out and, and lead the Labour Party again. And he's very influential, or seems to be, um, with the people that were Blairites, as they call them now, uh, in his government, and he pushes like hell. And as you know, he pushed like hell to stop um, Brexit um, at, at all costs. Him and his cohorts did. How do you feel, or how would you feel, that if he pushed so hard and he becomes dominant again, um, that he, he can, he can, you know, bring back new Labour, which has obviously got to be changed. Yeah, this was his quote, I guess, yesterday, Jonathan, about Labour being on Fantasy Island. I wonder if he had that little guy with the tray walking around in, uh, in, uh, in mind. I, and I saw Peter Mandelson in a white suit. You know, I think he'd, he'd look good in that. So what, what's your answer about Tony Blair? I, I, well, I've had a lot of conversations with people you know, similar to this one. I, I don't think Tony Blair is coming back. Uh, I, I respect the, the government and what it did, the good bits that I think made a big impact. But I, I just don't think you can look to the past. I think it's, it's too easy. I mean, you know, any era is right for that time. Tony Blair at one point was very much in touch with a bit of opinion in this country that was really important. But I don't imagine he can have... The the same relationship with the public is a former prime minister. I think, you know, as you doing said before, it consultant. was a very different time. You know, yeah. when Tony Blair came in, we'd had 13 years of ghastly Tories, and I say that, you know, with most people think I am a Tory, I'm not actually a Tory, um, but they they were awful, just yeah. dreadful. You know, the whole kind of you know back to basics and 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 the, you know the, the the cabinet ministers that couldn't seem to get in, get in and out of bed with the right people. You know, and it was time for a change. And also, if you think back to 1996, 97, we're just watching the Queen uh, driving here, not in the gilded carriage, it would seem. So a very modern approach there. Um, you know, we were seeing, um, you know, there was there was no internet even in that, yeah, back exactly. in those days. I mean, if you imagine that Tony Blair came in before internet was actually really available to everybody, that's how long ago it was, and that kind of puts it in perspective for me. It, it really does. I mean, one thing I would just say to the caller there as well is, you know, 
I don't think Tony Blair is actually very influential in the, in the Labour Party. I think actually at times, sometimes he says things we should listen to and we, we don't yeah. because it's him. And going back to your point around how his politics conducted, a civil tone, this labelling of people into categories, you know, which happens within political parties and between them, it's not massively helpful really, is it? I mean, no. what, what would being a, a Blairite mean when it's not 1994 anymore? Well, it mean, was clear what it was then. I honestly don't know what it would mean We saw John now. Major's intervention uh, yeah. in the election, uh, which wasn't actually very helpful uh, to, to, to the Labour Party at all. Even though it was meant to be, um, and I think once uh, the trouble is with all prime ministers and with all administrations in a way, they always stay around too long, don't they? It's a yeah. bit like football managers. You know, eventually it always ends in they tears. They stop listening to you, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, and it just doesn't work anymore, and you have to move on. But Jonathan, it's been delightful speaking. Really to you. Good Thank you very much Thanks indeed. Fine. I hope we'll see you again in the new year because uh, you're the first honest Labour politician I've met this week. You know, which is I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing. Well, to I mean, honest. maybe you could influence a few more of them to come over and speak the truth. The fallout, the fury, the future. Let's get political. Order. Talk radio, live from Westminster. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are here with you, of course, all the way through until one o'clock. Um, uh, we've got Charlotte Ivers still with us. She'll be breaking some news in a moment about the Department uh, of uh, Brexit, as it were. Well, Francois joins us as well uh, from the ERG group of the Tory party. Looking a very happy man today, Mr. Francois, if I may say so. Well, you're, you're very kind. Um, the Queen's speech today and then tomorrow is the second reading of the Brexit bill, yeah. which will pass and which will begin. Will it pass tomorrow? I mean, it's, it's a one day thing. Well, uh, well it, sorry, it will get its second reading yes. tomorrow, which is when the Commons approves a bill in principle. Right. And then the rumour is we've got about another week in the Commons when we get back for the committee and the report stage. So that's when we go through line by line, then off to the Lords then maybe a bit of ping-pong and amendments, then Royal Assent, and then we leave at 11pm on the 31st. And so you've got an idea about that as well, I understand. I do. Um, at the moment, there's uh, engineering and refurbishment work going on on the Elizabeth Tower and Big Ben. Seems so, to be going on forever. Yeah, it's. I'm afraid it's overrun. And anyway, so... Uh, Whereas Big Ben would normally chime every day, at the moment it only chimes for New Year's Eve right. and quite rightly for Remembrance Sunday. Mm. Um, the previous speaker, John Burko, effectively ruled that it wouldn't chime when we leave the EU. Now, under Article 50, we legally leave at a very specific time, which is 11pm Greenwich Mean Time on the 31st. Many of us in the Commons believe that Big Ben should chime that night as a kind of national focus for the nation on the moment that we leave. And I've put down what's called an early day motion this morning, signed by around 50 MPs, for a kick-off asking the new speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, effectively to overturn the decision of his predecessor. So you would want Big Ben to chime 11 times? As it, would it be chiming, I guess, on the 11 p.m.? Cor correct. I mean, I, One I, for I, luck. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how it works in New Year. They, I know they do 12, don't they? Well, well, look, they can add as many as they want as long as it chimes at 11. And the reason I think it is important is because, look, hopefully we're never going to do this again, right, after all this. Yeah. This is a truly historic moment when we become a free and sovereign nation again. And so I think it's appropriate that at that moment, everyone looks at what is effectively the nation's clock. So if anyone who's listening, I mean, parliamentary secretaries are going to hate me for this. Mm. But if anybody's listening and agrees with this, it's early day motion number two, EDM two. Would you please email your MP 
today to ask them to support EDM2 so that Big Ben will chime when we leave the EU. And will we be able to see Big Ben in, under those circumstances <laughs> chiming, or is it still going to be covered up in cardboard? Well... I would, I would think you could, pop, you could possibly. I'm not an engineer. You could possibly peel it back for the night. Yeah. But the historics, you know, it's the sound of Big Ben, which mm. is the thing that's most important. So yeah. whether or not we can see it, the critical thing is we can hear it. Yes, absolutely right. Fascinating. Well, did you ever think this day would come? Was there any part of you uh, in all of the times that we've had you sitting here in the tent, and we've had you in the uh, studios as well? Did you ever think we'd get here? It's a really good question. I did have a few long nights of the soul, Mike. Mm. Um, but my sheet anchor in this, to answer your question directly, was I always had faith in the British people. Yeah. Because they had voted in the referendum in 2016, they had a strong sense that, you know, for the sake of democracy, that decision had to be obeyed. And so I always believed deep down that one way or another, they would make us, the politicians, obey them. And... In the end, they did. The best way of answering it is back in 1997, uh, when I was sort of starting out on my parliamentary career, I fought Ken Livingstone in Brent East. Uh I was the sort of Tory sacrificial lamb, if you like. Um, This is before he became the mayor of London. And we, we did a hustings, you know, a public hustings in Wimbledon Green Library. And he said something I've never forgotten. He said, if you're a member of parliament, which of course he was at that time and I wasn't, A general election is an opportunity to commune with your 68,000 employers. Well, in Rayleigh and Wickford, I've got 79,000 employers, but the principle is Mm. exactly the same. They employ me as their member of parliament to represent them in the House of Commons. And I've spent the last six weeks, in effect, asking them to renew my contract. And I'm humbled and delighted that they've done that. I'll yes, just I say should that. have congratulations. No, no, no. Well, you I know, I just, you know, while I'm on the radio, I yes. want to thank my constituents, most sincerely. But, you know, it's a contract of employment, in a sense. I work for them. They don't work for me. And in the previous parliament, we had too many MPs who got that the wrong way around. Yes, I agree with that. And so in the end, we had to have a general election. And many of those MPs that had that problem, the Greaves and the Subris of this world, well, their contract of employment was not renewed by their own constituents. Quite right. So too. they're gone. And so we can now honour the decision of the British people and actually leave the European Union on the 31st of January. So that's a long answer to your question. Did I ever believe it might not happen? I had one or two long nights, but at the end of the day, my sheet anchor was the good sense of the British people. And the good sense, actually, of Boris Johnson in making sure that we got to where we're at. Just before we go on, Mark, we've got a caller who wants to ask a question. Louise uh, is in Liverpool. Hi, Louise. Hi, uh, Mike. You all right? Yeah, very well indeed. What do you want to ask me, Louise, or what do you want to ask Mark? Uh, hi, Mark. Uh, nice to speak to you. Um, what I'd like to ask you is about what is the government going to do about dementia care? Uh, I have a father with Alzheimer's. Uh, we're currently actually on our way to his daycare centre for our Christmas party. Um, we have struggled in the past as a family, although we're doing OK at the moment. I reduced my hours from five days a week to three days a week, and my brother's done similar to help support my mum. It costs £135 a week for three days daycare, which we don't mind paying but you cannot kick the dementia care issue into the long grass again you really can't leave it for five more years for the next election something Uh, has got to be done about it i quite agree i mean two things one general one personal if you'll allow me on the general point uh her majesty said in the queen's speech that we will seek a cross-party consensus 
on a way forward to pay for social care. And I really hope that all parties will be grown ups about this because, you know, you intimated in your question this has gone on too long. I agree. We've kicked the can down the road too far. We must kind of, you know, bite the bullet on this. On a personal level, my late mother was Italian. She died in 2004. But I try at least once a year to get out and visit the Italian family. My uncle, my Zio Valentino, is 84. And I visited him in a care home earlier this year. And he didn't recognise me. And I'd had a lot of people come to my surgery down the years to talk about dementia. But that's the first time it had ever, if you like, involved me. That's yeah. the first time... I'd ever seen that in a personal way. And I have to say that had a real effect on me. So uh, I'm absolutely committed that we've got to do something about this. The government, in fairness, has, has put more money into dementia research to try and find, you know, medical cures for things like Alzheimer's. I hope and pray one day the scientists will come up with something that can at least alleviate the problem. Uh, I think there are some drugs, at least in trials, that show some promise. But the bottom line is all politicians across all parties have finally got to bite the bullet on this and come up with a solution. Because, you know, to go and see a loved one who doesn't know who you are is incredibly difficult. And we as politicians have to try and do something to help families in those situations, I think. Well, thank you for that, Mark, but I really, really hope I'm not having the same conversation with another politician or mm. yourself in fact. No, 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 that, no, no that, that's a really... I understand it's difficult, it's difficult for you, but if you, you saw that BBC report last night on the 6 o'clock news, it is heartbreaking. There are millions of families in this country that are suffering mentally, emotionally, physically and economically, and it's just not good enough. I'm no, not having a go at you personally, but... Yeah, no, no, I didn't take that it, way. All, all yeah. I would say is... It has sometimes been a political football, but now that we've had an election, we're going to repeal what's called the Fixed Term Parliaments Act. That means we're unlikely with this majority to have another election for at least four or five years. So that provides the space for politicians to take brave decisions without having to have a general mm. election so that hopefully we've now got an opportunity Louise, to solve it once let, and for Let me ask you a question, Louise. What would, yes, what, sure. would you, what would you like to see, Harry? What would help you as a family? What would help us? Well, not having to worry about selling your home if um, my dad has to go into full-time care. Yeah. It should be on the same level as cancer. And, you know, it's wonderful that all this money goes to cancer and, and it is as it should be, but it should be on the same level. Dementia care is a ticking time bomb. It's been a ticking time bomb for the last 15, 20 years. Yeah. And yeah. it cannot, under any circumstances, be kicked down the line. I really appreciate what Mark has, has said. I really do. But unless something is done about it and something is done within the next year at the latest, something... Has has got to be in place. They've got to do something quickly. It is one of the well, well, biggest look, I, things I, yeah. in the country. Look, Louise, I, I can't speak for the government. I'm a backbencher, yeah. so I don't want course, to kid yeah. anyone that what I say no, is going to no, be... No, 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 no. No, no, but look, th there was a thing called the Dilnot Commission a few years ago uh, where they got, I think it was Andrew Dilnot, to look into this and, you know, to recommend a solution, knowing that whatever solution you recommended was going to be controversial. And he recommended that we should adopt a system whereby a family would have to pay uh, the first part of care, say somewhere between 50 to £100,000, right? And then after that, the state would take up the tab thereafter. Now, you could argue what the figure should be, but the principle was, was that 
you know, people should save for those circumstances, pay for the first few years, as it were, and then after that, the taxpayer would carry the rest. I personally think that might be a way forward, but I'm not, for the avoidance of doubt, speaking for the government. That's an option. But one way or another, I think the bottom line is we must bite the bullet on this. And in, in that, I, you and I are in complete agreement. Absolutely. It would be a good idea if we had a, a dementia care insurance policy so that people could pay into it when they are, say, in the 20s onwards. Well, that's kind um, of where Dill Knot was going. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. certainly one, one way. Louise, keep in touch with us, please, because we'd like to talk to you about, about this a bit more. I'm sure we will be talking about the whole social care uh, scenario at one time or another coming up uh, throughout the course of the next few weeks as well while we uh, await the leaving of the European Union. I've got a, a tweet here for you, um, Mark, from LJP who says, maybe church bells all over the land could be rung with Big Ben. So you maybe add that in as an addendum from the Independent Republic. Uh, well, that, that's that's an interesting thought. I'm not sure if my local rector will thank me for that. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know the, the good bell ringers of Rayleigh are a hardy lot. What, one quick thing before I go, Mark. Yes. You, you know, we were talking before I came on, did I have any funny experiences from the election? Yeah. Uh, well, halfway through, one of my, you know, volunteers called me over and said, you know, the, the chap at number 22 wants a word with you sort of thing. So I go bounding up the pathway and I said, hello, sir. And he says, look, son, I'm 54, Mike. <laughs> look, son, I only want to know one thing. I said, OK, so far away. He said, where do you stand on Brexit? <laughs> and I, I thought, you know, and I said, forgive me, sir, do you not own a radio or a television? Mm. And he said, don't give me all that politician's waffle. You leave or remain. <laughs> And I thought, God, he really, really doesn't know. So it just goes to show you can't repeat your message too often. Well, exactly right. And I think, as we've said many times on this show, you know, social media doesn't reach everyone either. So, you know, there's no there's no um, uh, substitute for pounding the pavements. It has to be said. Look, Tony Benn, of all people, the late Tony Benn, once famously said, ultimately, politics is about shoe leather. Yeah. And after six weeks in the cold and the wet, I'm here to tell you that remains true. Absolutely right. Mark Francois, thank you very much thank indeed you very much, for uh, joining us today. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 